Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Oh, did somebody say my name? I, I heard my name. Hello, Lynn Cullen. <laughs> Hello, thank you very much. Um, that's a little hot for me, Amy. Um, I ain't alone, which is generally the case. I got myself a gentleman caller. His name is uh, Jay Kolos. Kolos, right? Kolos, right. Kolos. He's in theater. And uh, we're going to be joined shortly by somebody else in theater. Tom is actually here. Tom, are you are you there? Oh, that's fantastic. Thank you. I was worried when you weren't there right off the bat, and I said to Jay, maybe he overslept. Do you have his number? And and Jay's response was, he's a professional. (laughs) 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 Meaning you even at seven in the morning, right, Tom? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for joining us um, at such an early hour where you are, but at least it's not eight degrees where you are. Excuse me. Hi, um, this is Tom Dugan on the line and uh, Jay Colos uh, here in the studio. And uh, these two men are bringing a production to Pittsburgh later this month uh, that was written and stars uh, Tom Dugan. And uh, it is a powerful one, one man, uh, one performer, one, uh, what do you call it, one act play. 90, 90 I, minutes of Tom on stage as Simon Wiesenthal, right. Okay. He says That's Simon right. Wiesenthal, I say Simon Wiesenthal. Tom, you wrote it, you play the guy. Uh, what, what's his name? Uh, I I uh, have uh, chosen to pronounce it Simon Wiesenthal because he has uh, an Austria an Austrian accent. So I can say Wiesenthal, you can say Wiesenthal, and uh, just as long as we get you in the theater, it's going to be all right. <laughs> <laughs> now I I did note um, that uh, DreamWorks is is looking to adapt your play. Is that true? Yeah, we're uh, in the. Go- we're, we're in negotiation now uh, for uh, a, a, the, the film of Wiesenthal, and uh, and nothing has been announced yet, but uh, it's looking pretty good. Well, how wonderful! How wonderful! The full uh, the full title is uh, Simon Wiesenthal, Nazi Hunter. Well, that's not exactly the title, uh, no. but, but it we, isn't? It, it's Wiesenthal, title, but we, we use uh, Nazi Hunter. What? We, 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 I'm sorry, Tom, you were saying? What? The title of the play is simply Wiesenthal. Oh, it is. I, we just use it in the, because he was a, a Nazi hunter, so yes, yes. It's, it's used in the, uh, uh, in the body copy and underneath the headline, but the, the actual title is it's Wiesenthal. It's just Wiesenthal. Correct. <laughs> I got Jay to say Wiesenthal. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so, so Simon Wiesenthal, Nazi hunter, um, uh, Holocaust survivor, and Tom Dugan, that sure sounds like an Irish name to me. What the hell got you uh, interested in, in uh, writing this play and also embodying him on stage? 
Yeah, it is. It is kind of an odd uh, thought that an, an Irish an Irish Catholic kid from New Jersey would want to be playing Simon Wiesenthal. But I come to the story honestly. I grew up hearing the stories of my father, who was uh, a decorated World War II veteran, and he received the Bronze Battle Star and the Purple Heart. He liberated uh, a camp uh, called Langenstein in Germany. And I grew up uh, hearing the stories of what it was like for him as a child of the Depression to come upon um, these, these, this work camp and see these people starving when there was food right there. They just weren't allowed to eat it. And, uh, and it, it made quite an impression on him as to how awful human beings could be. I always wanted to honor his participation in history uh, but I didn't find the right, um, uh, I, I, could, I couldn't figure it out. Uh, but one, the one thing that really stuck in my mind was we were watching a movie called Battleground starring Van Johnson and I think James Whitmore won an Academy Award for it. It was about the Battle of the Bulge. My dad was in the Battle of the Bulge. And my mom, you know, said, hey, you know, you, your father actually did this. And I said, oh, my God, Dad, you were in the movies? <laughs> and, yeah. and to my disappointment, he was only in the Battle of the Bulge. Oh, so okay. that's where my mom said, look, Phil, he's got, he's got shrapnel in his hip. So I, I felt my dad's hip. I mean, sure enough, he had shrapnel in there. And you could feel it. And I said, boy, Dad, you must hate Germans. And he said, no, I don't. He said, I don't judge people by what group they belong to. I judge them by their behavior. Wow. Now, as an eight-year-old, I didn't really understand what that meant, but I had the idea that it was probably profound. Yeah. Years later, I, uh, I was reading, um, and I'd become a playwright by that point. I was reading Wiesenthal's obituary in uh, 2005 in the Los Angeles Times, and in it, they discussed, uh, Wiesenthal's rejection of collective guilt. And a light bulb went on in my head, and I realized that's what my father was trying to teach me so many years before. Wow. And so I, I started looking into the possibility of, of writing a, a one-man play about Wiesenthal. There's another reason that I'm comfortable playing the part, is that um, although I'm Irish Catholic, my wife and my two sons are Jewish. So uh, that I live in my house, you know, we live with tolerance every day. And, uh, and I've been living in a Jewish community. You know, I've been married to my wife for 27 years. I've been accepted as the outsider now for, you know, close to 30 years. So a tolerance really plays a big part in my life. And so that's why I'm comfortable playing the part. Well, that's wonderful. And in fact, the Simon Wiesenthal Center in Los Angeles, right, there is a corresponding or in it museum of tolerance, isn't there? Yeah, there's a, a very uh, a, a powerful museum in, in Los Angeles and uh, and elsewhere. And in fact, the Simon Wiesenthal Foundation is one of our uh, promotional partners. So that in in many of the towns we will visit, a representative from the Wiesenthal Foundation will be on stage with Tom. Uh, we do a, a Q&A, post-show Q&A, 
where Tom comes back out as Tom, and uh, uh, and then we have a guest uh, person sometimes from the Wiesenthal Center, uh, others that may be just very well versed in uh, uh, Holocaust or Wiesenthal or other uh, mm -hmm. subjects, and then also just. Uh, for example, um, we're going to be in Orange County uh, uh, the 12th of March. There was just an incident there last weekend uh, with uh, some kids. Oh, that's a swastika. Yeah, and uh, that's brought a whole other attention to it, and we do oh. have somebody on stage with Tom uh, that will be on stage with Tom to talk about that, and so the, the, the audience is going to be very involved with that. So I think, and Tom, you can... Correct me uh, on this, but I believe you kind of adjust to the situation of the questions that you get are not always Wiesenthal oriented, but otherwise oriented. Is, isn't that right? Um, well, yeah. There's a there's a, a curiosity about um, about so many aspects, you know, of the creation of the play and, and the creation of the character that I worked on along with uh, my director uh, Jenny Sullivan. Uh, but um, I find fascinating moments. I've been doing the play for 10 years now. Wow. And, uh, and it's at those talkbacks that I meet the most fascinating people. Um, I, uh, I was in Florida, I guess it was, and, and a man just raised his hand. He didn't actually have a question. He just said, uh, you know, I, I particularly like the story about how Simon Wiesenthal helped catch Franz Stengel comment onto the Treblinka concentration camp and in that story um, he said you know and, and the, the, the $7,000 check that he had to be given to the informants in order to get that that um, that information and I said oh okay I said so why you know why is that story about the check why is that so interesting to you he said because I'm the guy who wrote the check <laughs> oh wow <laughs> he was Wow. Marty Rosen, <laughs> Marty Rosen it, uh, was uh, Wiesenthal's lawyer and best friend. Okay. And they worked hand in hand uh, to uh, uh, instigate some of the law changes uh, in Germany, the statute of limitations that there used to be in Germany. Uh, they had that abolished, and, and Marty Rosen was essential in that um, in that uh, endeavor. And so I'm happy to say that he he comes to the show quite often. He'll be, uh, we're doing the show in Boca, and he's coming, and he's going to participate in the talk back. So uh, uh, it, it, there's always these, these guest stars that, that come up and and, Wonderful. and fill in, you know, their firsthand experience, you know, with, uh, with you know, with along with the questions that they have for me as the playwright so, and the uh, performer. So you are, this this production is being staged uh, in cities all over the country, but you did not have Pittsburgh no. on your original tour. This is an addition yeah. that you're coming here. In what happened? Uh, what happened was uh, I was actually working on the t on the tour, booking the. Uh, we, I have the. Uh, I, w I work with the North American rights of of the tour, so we're we're performing everywhere from Palm Desert to Montreal, Canada. So I'm in the I was in the process of uh, booking and locking in the markets, and we had already locked in a lot of them. Uh, and then the Tree of Life incident happened, and and I I think Tom and I had exactly the same idea. He was on I was on the phone. He was trying to get me. I was trying to get him. 
but we we said you know we've got to uh, we've got to bring this to Pittsburgh, um, and uh, so we moved things around. I interrupted uh, the, the, the the basic putting together of the tour. We got some venues to cooperate and move things around, and we were able to bring uh, three shows here uh, March. 26, 27, and 28 at the August Wilson, so it all work, uh, all kind of uh, worked out. <coughs> it's it's wonderful, and we're so glad that uh, we have an opportunity to uh, see your play, which I should uh, say won the Los Angeles Drama Critics Circle Award and was nominated for a number of other awards. This is, I I mean, it must be a very powerful piece, Tom. Congratulations. Uh, Tom, well, thank you very much. Yeah, what you'll what the audience will see uh, is what I've seen as the uh, sitting. Uh, well, I never sit actually. I stand on the side, and and there, any show that I'm involved in, I can't sit. But you, you stand and uh, pace. I, I, yeah, I pace. I'm a pacer. <laughs> Tom is up there doing all the work, and uh, but um, you'll see the audience is just for 90 minutes uh, absolutely memorized. There's no intermission, so they're sitting there and. I kid Tom, you know, to keep uh, Jewish people quiet for 90 minutes is quite an undertaking. <laughs> but he's able to do that. <laughs> no, it is. I, yeah, you really, that's amazing. It reminds me, actually. You can't do it at home. No, no. <laughs> no. It reminds I, me. I can't either, by the way. It reminds me of a story, yeah. actually, and, and Tom, you might appreciate this, because I carry an Irish name, too, Cullen, and I'm Jewish. Um and when I first came to Pittsburgh in the early 80s, I, uh, some Hadassah thing asked me to speak. As I was a television reporter at the time. And I'm speaking in this yeah. beautiful home in the Squirrel Hills uh, part of, of Pittsburgh to all these women. And I'm hearing these two women having an argument while I'm trying to talk. And I can hear what they're saying. Yes, she is. I interrupted. I said, only in an audience full of Jewish women would I have to do this, but let me just stop the argument in the back. Yes, I am. Okay? <laughs> you know, so, I was sitting at uh, the Bagel Mosh in Beverly Hills, <laughs> and I was first starting to do the show, and I just happened to go into a, a you know, I walked in because I was going to go to the theater thereafter, and they had an advertisement in the Bagel Mosh for my show, and there was a, a photograph and, and, and my name, and I'm sitting there eating, and two Jewish women are sitting there, and the one says to me, so, that you? I said, uh, yes, yes, it is. And I just, a well, little time went by, and then I hear, so, you're not Jewish? And I said, uh, no, 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 I'm not. But you can tell that because of my name, right? And they went, no, because you put ham on your bagel. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Oh, gosh. Okay, but I want to, um, by the way, tickets available now. The, the, um, they're they're already selling for the oh, yeah, show no, here. We did three so shows, yeah. if you want to get yeah, in, but there are tickets. And are, did we mention that the shows benefit 
for Tree of Life. Tree of Life. Yeah, a portion of the proceeds go to the uh, rebuilding of Tree of Life, absolutely. Okay, and I was just being told before that, that uh, insur their insurance does not cover a ton of the stuff. So, yeah, they d amazing. They do need uh, help. Um, let's, can we talk about... I think the way, the way I understood it, the way I understood it was that insurance covers the actual structure itself, the building itself, but insurance does not cover so much of everything else, including the pews. Um, and then there's uh, these, these bronze plaques on, on the side, uh, uh, on the walls, that uh, have the names of congregants going back 100, 150 years from Romania. And now these, 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 um, these plaques have got bullet holes in them. And to me, that those plaques with those names on it are the roots to the Tree of Life Synagogue. And if we can help to patch up, replace those roots, I think I, I would be very, very proud to have participated in that. Wow, I have never heard that before. I mean, yeah. obviously, I know that sanctuary very well. I, I'm thinking of those plaques with bullet yeah. holes. Yeah. Wow. Wow. By the way, I do want to mention mm -hmm. that uh, uh, we are doing a show also, uh, matinee, actually. Uh, it's a free show for high school students. Uh, there's a, a group of high school students that uh, have been invited, uh, and they will be coming on uh, Thursday. And uh, Tom is giving of his talent, and everyone is kicking in. And uh, so we're really, because to us, that's uh, the other, you know, the, the the fact that we will have a very uh, diverse uh, group of students there is uh, is great. So. Uh, that will be on Thursday. You know the educational aspect of this play and what you're what you're doing. You know, really makes you a teacher as well as a playwright and and actor. Um, you're a teacher in this now. Is is that the well, in some parts the most gratifying aspect of uh, of this work? I think that um, Wiesenthal's greatest. Uh, contribution to society is as, as a teacher. Yeah. Uh, and so to uh, I set the play to Documentation Center where he often had groups of students come in to his boardroom or whatever. It was a very modest um, office that he had and, uh, and talk to these students. And that's how I set the play. It's, a, it's the final group of students that's come from the United States and he's uh, speaking with them. Uh, and so there, there's that, every performance is that, but when it, they are actually students in the audience, that adds a, a very special vibe to the play. I, I had, um, I had, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm very grateful to have had the best reviews of my life uh, for this play. Uh, from the New York Times to the Los Angeles Times and everywhere in between. But my favorite review of all was a 15-year-old at the talk back after. And he didn't even have a question. And I think, I think he just had something to say. And I think he spoke for all uh, teenagers who come to see the show. And all he said was, wow, I thought this was going to suck. <laughs> 
That is, that's better than four stars. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. Let's talk, if we could, about this man that inspired you and um, and that you embody in the in the in the play. He was a survivor himself. His family pretty much wiped out. Correct. Yes. Yeah, he lost like 80 uh, family members. And and then he, I mean, my sense of him always was, if you come out of that, and then you immediately sort of start looking for Nazis, that it's, yeah. it's revenge that is fueling you. It sure as hell would be for me. Well, he, he admitted that, uh, yeah, at the beginning it was revenge, but then he realized that it, it really can't be revenge. It's it's uh, justice that he was looking for. He wanted to, I mean, after all the wars previous to World War II, everyone said, well, you know, we, everybody did terrible things and, and we should never do them again. Uh, but it was Wiesenthal and some like him who uh, really, really put an effort into making sure that there were things that were enforceable uh, called war crimes. And the type of war crimes and tribunals that you see in our society now, Rwanda, you know, all, all the unfortunate many genocides that, that go on and continue to go on. Uh, you, you hear about the Hague, you hear about, you know, brought up on, on charges. These are all, all of this that's going on now is directly, directly attributable to the work that Simon Wiesenthal did in the 50s and the late 40s uh, to make sure that criminals understood when they went down that dark path that they will have to answer for their crimes. There, there's a legitimate process that will, that will seek them out and they will be punished. And his idea was to let the murderers of tomorrow understand that they're not going to get away with it. So he was thinking in terms of deterrence, um, um, actually. Yeah. Frankly, I don't yes, think that's going to work. I, I mean, I, it doesn't seem to, you know, people have to learn the same lessons over and over and over again, it seems to me. I the, suppose, uh, I mean, he was naive man, but I suppose that what he wanted to do, and I think he did, was raise the human consciousness, just to raise the, the, the IQ of, of our society, just a click, just a click, and I think he did that. Gosh. He was responsible for uh, 1,100, over 1,100 uh, Nazi war criminals being brought to justice. But, Tom, in the play, he actually talks about what a low percentage that, that uh, is. What, what was it exactly? It was like 2 or 3%? Uh, he had 22,000 uh, criminals, uh, identifiable criminals in his files when he's retired. And he, he brought to justice 1,100, which is uh, 5%. 5%. And he's ashamed, he's ashamed of the number, and he calls himself a 5% hero. Wasn't anybody else doing that? I mean, it's only in the whole world, Simon Wiesenthal, who's hunting these people down? No, 
down, but he became the most famous because yeah. he understood how to utilize, he learned how to utilize the media. Uh, there were uh, um, a husband and wife uh, that, Klausfeld, uh, I believe is the pronunciation, who were dedicated, they were French, dedicated to, uh, to hunting down Nazis. Um, of course, Mossad did, uh, did an, an awful lot eventually uh, to hunt down uh, Nazis. And, and so he wasn't the only one, but uh, he was the most effective one and certainly became the spokesman for all of them. And, uh, but I'll tell you what, uh, there's a dark chapter of Jewish history where um, there was a competition, uh, and, and I think the psychologists call it uh, Holocaust ownership, where I'm a bigger victim than you are, and, yeah. and, and, and there was jealousy um, of Wiesenthal because he was getting so much of the credit for things, uh, and, and, and others felt that they weren't getting the credit. Human nature, God Almighty, it's uh, it's yeah. okay. So, I um, you had mentioned the documentation center that this is where the play is set. That was where he operated from. And what what city are we in uh, with the documentation center? We're in uh, Vienna. We're in Vienna. Vienna. Okay. Yeah. So he stayed yeah, the over place, the place, there. The yeah. He did. He uh -huh. did. He stayed in uh, in Austria, and uh, depending on which way the wind was blowing, he was either looked on as a, uh, a heroic character or uh, the worst of the worst. Uh, he and his wife would go out to the movies, and uh, people would uh, just decide it was okay to spit on them, what? if you can imagine. No, I, I, I can't. So yeah. he stayed there, though, and took... Oh my God, he's the one who found Eichmann. Yeah, right. He found Eichmann. Well, no, no. no. Uh, he now he, he was one of many uh, people who gave um, information that he had gathered. Oh, to and the it Israelis. was uh, Mossad. Yeah, Mossad. Yeah, Mossad right. actually uh, caught Eichmann, uh, but um, he it, aided I was going to show up. He didn't capture him. No, no, no. he aided him. Uh, yeah, he aided, and and then I was doing the show in um, off Broadway, and uh, after the show, I was uh, some woman came up to me. No, actually, a woman was pushing her husband up to me, and I could see that she wanted him to talk to me. So a guy just came up. He was an unassuming guy, he was, you know, in his 80s, and he said, uh, I, "I liked your play very much." And then he walked away, and his wife was like, oh, I'm pushing him back to me. Oh, and he was like, please, Gladys, give me a break. And then finally she stepped up, and she just pointed at him and said, he caught Eichmann. You're kidding. He wow. was one of the seven Mossad agents, or eight oh. Mossad agents. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and, and then he was like, he just said, well, I, you know, I was the guy who did all of the, the um, electronics. I, I put a bug in this in an apartment, and I did this, and I did that, blah, 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 you know, and uh, I taped his hands, but, you know, the rest, you know, those guys did. You know, it, it's heroes like that, that that's how you know they're real heroes. Right. That's right. They just don't brag. No, they don't even want to, they don't even want to mention it. 
there was something that leapt out at me. I guess I, I don't know what. I was probably uh, doing a little research on, on him. But one of the people he uh, found, I believe he found, was an American housewife living in New York City, Mrs. Hermine, Her, Herman, I don't know, Ryan. And uh, yeah. she... She supervised the ki- you know, under her German name, she supervised the killing of hundreds of children. And she's living a fine, wonderful life in America. Yep. Yep. And I, I'm I'm just all now going to uh go into my my, my shelf and my book to find there there she is. I got a picture of her right here. Uh the Braunsteiner. Case. Her name was Brownsteiner, known as the mayor, uh, greeted the prisoners whip in hand as they arrived at Majdanek. Is that the pronunciation? I'm getting it right. I don't know. Uh, yeah, she was known as the mayor because she would kick children to death. Dear God. Can you imagine? No. And, you know, I'm thinking now of the other uh, Amer- people these criminals, these killers uh, who came to the United States and uh, hid here in plain sight and were living their lives and then are found. And when they're found, they're like these old men. Yes. They're old, old, old men. And it really appears like the Jews are torturing these old men. I always thought, I was always troubled by the optics of what I figured other people were thinking. Yeah, that that that, that you, we should feel yeah. sorry for them or something. Right. But no, in right. fact, that I think is the Wiesenthal mantra, which is justice, and it doesn't matter that they're 80, 90, whatever, that uh, that they must be brought to justice. And uh, I, that's why I think just recently there was another case uh, of someone that was uh, uh, captured or, or brought to justice, I believe. Right, in Europe. Yeah. Yeah, but they're in their 90s yes. now, yeah. and it, you know, and it's like you you just know that people looking at these poor old men are are feeling sympathy for them, don't you think? Yeah, Wiesenthal's greatest fear was that you know uh, the the as you say the optics of uh, of uh, you know old people are vulnerable. And your empathy goes out to them because you see the fear in their eyes and you see the weakness in their bodies and, and your, your idea is to protect them. And, and uh, this is uh, something that Wiesenthal uh, was very aware of and made it very clear. And I make it clear in the play that, yeah, this, this sweet old man, you know, at one point I say, you know, because he's trying, he, during the play, he's trying to catch the final Nazi on a, a series of telephone calls. And the woman says that very thing. The receptionist at the hotel where this man is living says, oh, why don't you leave the sweet old man alone? And he says, sweet old man, he's 61 years ago, uh, that sweet old man marched 345 children out of an orphanage in France and shot them in the head. So it was an uphill battle for Wiesenthal, but he always had to bring up what the reality of this situation was rather than just the optics. And I think his his goal was not revenge. It was 
it was seeing, you know, I mean, and, and, and it worked. I mean, you say you don't think it worked, but I, I know for a fact that there are times when it worked where um, uh, despots and uh, uh, dictators understood that they had to cover up their crimes because they don't want to be chased until they're 98 years old. Well, that's... And they, they really have, they have free reign to commit the type of crimes that, that the Nazis did because the Nazis didn't think there was... First of all, they didn't think they were going to lose. And second of all, they didn't think that, you know, Hitler himself said, because um, he talked about the Armenian genocide, and he said, he says, I'm not worried about killing the Jews. After all, who today speaks of the, uh, the slaughter of the Armenians? by the Turks. This is true. This is true. Yeah. And somebody else, I remember, somebody else said to maybe him, no one will... B- you want to keep telling these stories or saying these things. No one, what we're doing, or said to him when he was in the camps, I, I don't know, no one will believe. It was. No one will believe yeah, what you're a, saying. Uh, it was an SS guard uh, at um, uh, the camp, the Metzhausen, where Wiesenthal finally wound up, and they were sitting um, on the grass, and this, you know, this SS officer was just, was a, basically a teenager, uh, he didn't have, didn't seem to have any hate in his heart. He was just going along with the with the program, and he said to Wiesenthal, he said, you know, don't even bother when you like it. If you get out of this and you go to America, don't even bother telling people what happened here because nobody's going to believe you. Yeah, and you still have the 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 Holocaust deniers and the uh, you know and right. and well, what about the film? What about no? It was the Jewish media created all of that and. You still you, you still have that. Uh, and what you also still have, given what the reason you're in Pittsburgh, Tree of Life, is this growing and uh, increase again in anti-Semitism. The exact same tropes and accusations and sort of attempting to, I guess, cull Jews off in, as a sort of separate and suspicious bunch and powerful uh, bunch it's uh, it's all happening again before the last survivors are dead it's already happening again the never again I just read in the the Los Angeles Times this morning that since 2014 uh, anti-semitic attacks in the United States has raised by 65%. Right, right. right. Uh, France, I know, is going through it, uh, that as well. Uh, it's, yeah. It's, it's everywhere. Yeah. Denmark, you see British politics being roiled by it uh, right now. Um, it's everywhere. And so this, um, I, I don't know, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. It's uh, it's extraordinary. Well, that's why I think that in particular the 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 whole never again concept is needs to be constantly reinforced, which is personally one of the reasons why I'm I'm involved. I'm involved because I do this professionally, but to have a show like this uh, that also just has such a powerful message is uh, that's really why. Uh, we want to do as many as possible. I mean, yes, we want to do it uh, because that's what we do, but also 
the fact that we're able to get this show out there and uh, and also uh, encourage uh, parents and grandparents to bring their uh, children and grand uh, and grandchildren uh, and an example of the having the uh, matinee show here in, in Pittsburgh with the high school students uh, that's the only way that I mean what else is there going to be but education in, in terms of uh, getting continuing to uh, uh, let people know that it can happen again. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I uh, go ahead, Tom. One of my uh, the best compliments that I've I've gotten. Uh, I was doing a show, and I remember there was a a Holocaust survivor. Uh, she, no, it was him. It was him. When I first started doing the show, there were a fair amount of male Holocaust survivors. And now it's mostly females that are still around. And um, this man said hello to me afterwards and thanked me so much. Uh, it was so sweet. He wanted to touch my face. Uh, you know, it's just, it was just, I don't know, a, a gesture of affection. And the next, that, that night, that performance, that guy was sitting there again. And so uh, afterwards, I said, you came back. And he said, yeah, this is my whole family. He had his children and his grandchildren there. And I said, oh, for crying out loud. And he said, do you know why I brought them back? He said, no, why? And he said, because you tell my story better than I do. <laughs> oh, gosh. Tom. Um, and that was so sweet. Uh, we, uh, uh, tell us about what happened. And we were in Skokie, uh, what, a couple months ago. And Skokie, Illinois, was kind of ground zero for Holocaust survivors. Yes. I think one out of four in in the 70s was a Holocaust survivor. So one of the things that we were we did was, of course, we invited. We always tried to invite Holocaust survivors. Survivor. So we had, I think, uh, ten, if I remember correctly, in in our audience and at the Q and A. Tom um, had them. Uh, read their names. I had them stand up. It was a very powerful. After you see what you see, and then have them. Uh, uh, being acknowledged by the yeah, audience, it was it was just a, a wonderful, powerful moment. Um, and uh, then we also had uh, a war war hero, right? Uh, that you introduced, Tom. Yeah, we did. And I'm sorry, I don't have his name written down. Uh, he he just he passed away just like a month ago. Yeah, about a month uh, ago. He had uh, he had single-handedly a Jewish uh, soldier uh, from the 83rd Infantry. Patton's Third Army, which was of particular interest to me because that's the division that my father was in. And uh, he was sitting in the balcony real close, like one of those boxes, real close to the stage. Anyway, um, he had captured single-handedly 21 German soldiers. And uh, I started it off by, you know, uh, I counted that there were 21 people in the front row, and I had them all stand up so that everybody could see what 21 people looks like. And then I announced that, you know, this man was right here as an American hero. Uh, and it was, and I was able to walk over and, and shake his hand. It was just, it was, and, and you had, I don't know how many people, was it 500 people in the theater? Uh, more than that, I think him. close to 800, actually. They, 800. they, they rose and as one. They, and they all applauded him. Yeah, sure. And I don't know how often somebody like that gets that kind of recognition. 
uh, because they go about their daily lives. Right. And, they don't you know, seek it. And, you know, when does, when does an opportunity like that come along? So I was so happy that he got that standing ovation. You know, you know like I said, he just died a month ago. So it, it's just it warms my heart that, you know, that that, um, that I was able to uh, help facilitate that. Um, again, <clears throat> the tickets are available at the August Wilson Cultural Center. I imagine the Pittsburgh Cultural Trust as well. At the um, and this is for performances on the 26th, the 27th, and the 28th. Well, it'll be three performances for uh, for for us, not yes, <laughs> for uh, three. Three evening performances uh, at, that start at 7.30 on the 26th, 27th, 28th, and then we're doing this uh, invitation-only uh, show for the high school as a matinee on Thursday. Okay, we'll put a link to August Wilson Center and the tickets on, on, on my Facebook page, okay? Um, now... Um, you know, young people are my, are my favorite audience members, young people. And I was doing the show uh, and and had a, had a talk back, and a, a young person, not 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 a high school age, but maybe twenty, she stood up and she was quite emotional, and she said to me, she said, "Did this really happen?" And the audience, which was predominantly Jewish, you know, breathed a collective oi. <laughs> And uh, I said, yes, yes, it did. I said, and all the numbers that you heard in the performance are accurate. They've been checked and double-checked. So, yes, it all happened just the way it was said. I said, why do you ask? And she says, well, because when I was growing up, my parents told me that the Holocaust was a big exaggeration. And then the audience got a little bit more agitated. And I said, I said why in the world do you think your parents would tell you something like that? And she said, oh, because my great-grandfather was Adolf Eichmann. What? What? Mm-hmm. That's oh, right. And the audience what? just uh, jumped out of their seats. And uh, it was a fascinating night in the theater because what did the audience have to do in the here and now? They had to practice the rejection of collective guilt. That's right. That's right. Because here's Eichmann's great granddaughter. She didn't do it, and she she, didn't she, do she came to the play. She's like, yeah. She's asking, did this really? Oh gosh. Right. She wanted. She wanted information. Right. She wanted to know the truth. Oh my God. And it was great for all. I mean, it was great for all of us. I mean, they they decided. You know, she was okay with the audience asking her some questions. Wow. But she was woefully ignorant, woefully ignorant. Tom, and, don't you think? Uh, and but, don't you think the next Thanksgiving would have been uh, like to be a fly <laughs> in the wall of that one? <laughs> yeah, you think your fam your family yeah. being Trump voters is a, a awkward situation? <laughs> Dear, yeah, God. right. You think that's bad? Oh man. <laughs> So, um, Tom. Uh, Speaking you, of collected guilt, I yeah, don't know that right. So I'm, there's lots of movies <clears throat> that have been made that um, include uh, Wiesenthal, um, either fictionalized or actual, right? There's the, well, the boy, yeah. Boys from Brazil. Um, right. And, and the Wiesenthal character there is played by Laurence Olivier, who wasn't Jewish. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, no. <laughs> and then the Odessa file. Yeah, yeah. That um, I uh, I mentioned those. Yeah, and Wiesenthal was um, was uh, somebody who they talked to about about it. Did he collaborate with any of those productions? Yeah, they um, in the Odessa file, they actually asked him to play the part. Oh, for heaven's sake! And uh, yeah, and he thought, you know what? That's really going to be cheesy. <laughs> yeah, and, he, and it went to another actor. Because uh, he's not and, an actor. Uh, and, and also, Alex Olivier came to see Wiesenthal to talk to him in preparation for the, uh, you know, for 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 the part. And uh, as it turned out, he wasn't. I liked the the first. My first introduction to Wiesenthal at all was the Boys from Brazil when I was a teenager. Yes, yeah. uh, I thought it was fascinating. But as it turns out, uh, Wiesenthal said, "You know, I liked his Hamlet more than his Wiesenthal." <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and, I saw. I wonder if if you would. Uh, well, since I I saw this little snippet from the play, and I'm wondering if. I think it, it involved that funny story about uh, Bolivia and a champagne. Oh, yeah. Is that a story you can tell yeah. now? Well, I don't want to spoil it for the audience. Uh, but, right. uh, uh, there was, it's so funny. There, he would get uh, a lot of help from people. I mean, people would, you know, poor people would send in donations for, you know, $5, you know, just to keep his, his electricity going. You know, so he got a lot of little donations, and people were very eager to to help. Um, there was the story about um, uh, how in, in the Odessa file, which starred John Voigt and Maximilian Schell as the Nazi, uh, where they there was a couple in um, Bolivia who uh, got they spotted uh, his name. The character's name. I mean, the 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 Nazi's name is Rashomont. Rashomont. And they thought they spotted him in a restaurant. Well, and because, I mean, Nazis him. were found in Bolivia and yes. are all over South America. Oh, sure. So they think they, they sure. see the guy. Yeah. I'm sorry. And so they were very clever, and they got, um, they got, they offered him a drink and befriended him, and they got his fingerprints on the glass. And so they sent the glass to Wiesenthal, who had the uh, fingerprints tested, and it turns out that um, they were the actual fingerprints of Maximilian Schell. <laughs> <laughs> These guys had seen the actor who played the bad guy and thought it was actually the bad Oh, God. That is... Oh, I, you know. But you know what's amazing about that, though, is that those two people had... Too bad, but they had the wherewithal to figure out how to get some incriminating yeah. evidence. Yeah. Too bad it was the actor who played the guy and not the guy, but um, that's incredible. So yeah. where were all these guys found? Yeah, where were, I mean, where, all over the world, these people, as I said, they were found in New York City, they're found in Cleveland, Ohio, they're found in uh, Bolivia, Argentina, everywhere, right? And governments... Yeah, South America, Central America. Yeah. And I think the U.S., <clears throat> the State Department particularly, was complicit 
in bringing in helping bring some of these people in and hiding them frankly you don't get into that yeah okay. yeah 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 uh well no I, he, he, there's no uh i don't not really but there uh, there were uh, term limits uh, not term limits but um statute of limitations uh, statute of limitations yeah. in the united states as well and uh he asked um robert kennedy in the uh he was just about to run for president to to say something about it and uh more and, and he came up with the quote robert kennedy said morality has no statute of limitations yeah that's great and uh and it was very it was, he really liked and, and respected uh um robert kennedy for for helping out um uh, and and the FBI has has been um, a key component to uh, to finding and and prosecuting um, uh, the criminals. That you know, I don't know how many there still are, but uh, I'm sure there's plenty. I believe there are a lot of German scientists, or, or well, several German scientists right. that were brought in for the Manhattan Project. That's think, right, right, right. They a lot of the scientists, yep. the yep. the Nazi brain trust, got uh, scooped up and brought to the United yep. States. Yeah, right. Um, so, um, Wiesenthal, he lived a long life, right? He, he, yeah, he died. 96. He was 96 years old. And yeah, I got, I always had the impression he had this big, because there was, there was a Simon Wiesenthal center in Los Angeles. I always thought he was there working. You're telling me he was in this little, uh, office in Vienna the whole time. Which we replicate on stage, actually. It's the, the, the office that he was, you know, as he's retiring. So there's packing boxes, you know, uh, old furniture, metal uh, file cabinets. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's not a, it's a mess. But I, I assume that wasn't his priority. He was having a neat office. It was... No, uh, no. I mean, the sort yeah, of... Sing- he, he was, uh, the singularness a, uh, of his, you know, going yeah, after that was—I mean—the focus he maintained for, you know, seventy years, seventy-five years, amazing. Yeah, he—he he was a kind of a one-man band. Uh, he ran the place by himself. He had two part-time secretaries, That's and then, it. depending on what was going on, he had a series of student volunteers. And uh, it all it all came out of you know his brain. He he had all the names, all the numbers in his brain, and uh, he was fortified by a, a Holocaust survivor from Scandinavia who remained anonymous. Uh, and he would um, send a check to Wiesenthal for about ten thousand dollars a year to keep the office running, to keep the lights on, and to pay for postage and 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 telephone calls. Uh, then when that when that man passed away, Rabbi Marvin Heyer. Uh, approached he and Artie Rosen, who I spoke of, mm-hmm. uh, and and wanted to. They said, "Can we put your name on this Holocaust Center, and in return, we will fortify your, um, you know, your continued work." And so he agreed to that. And Wiesenthal and the Wiesenthal Center were completely separate entities. Oh, I never understood Although, that. Okay. Yeah, and sometimes they didn't even get along very well. Uh, but what Marvin Heyer did was was create a, a celebrity around Wiesenthal uh, in the 70s and 80s, and they he, he pumped him up and, and showed the world who this man was, who had been in the shadows all this time, really, and uh, and and you know everyone rallied around the 
cause of this man's work. And so Marvin Heyer did an enormous amount of good for Wiesenthal, uh, but they are, um, and vice versa, but they were, they were separate entities. Thank, thank you for clari clarifying that uh, for, for me. So is, is it true, I was wrong about he found Eichmann, did he actively seek to find the Gestapo officer who arrested Anne Frank, or is that something I'm making up? Yeah. No, 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 he did. It's the last story in it's the in play. The, in the show. Uh, oh, it's uh, in the show. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah, Carl, Carl Silberbauer. Uh, was the man who arrested Anne Frank, and the the need for him to be caught and identified was to squash um, a movement in the high schools, the German high schools, and the Austrian high schools, where it was the beginning of Holocaust deniers. They kept saying that uh, uh, Anne Frank never even existed, and he made a deal with one of these deniers, this kid. He said, uh, "If you can find the one who arrested," And Frank, and uh, and and that guy confesses himself, then I'll believe it. So it was a real tall order because you couldn't. I mean, it was like finding a needle in a haystack. But as you'll see in the play, he does manage to find this guy and bring him to justice. And and that was possibly the most important thing Wiesenthal did because you know it it, it just showed that it was the parents of these students, these doubting boys of, of Europe um, that was doing the lying and not, uh, not Wiesenthal and, and, and the Jewish community. And uh, the, uh, the story that I don't get to uh, is that, yes, he was brought up, he was arrested, brought up and identified, but he hadn't committed a crime. You know, he, he was a police officer who was told to to pick up this family, yeah. and he didn't know that they were going to be killed technically and all that. So he was he was let free and given back his job uh, at the, in the police department. And Wiesenthal was determined to get this guy behind bars again, and so he was working on um, a, another charge to to bring him up on. But at that, this was in 1963, and Wiesenthal's number one, go, uh, number one assistance in all of his work was the the media, and particularly the American media. And it was he was just about get getting uh, this thing going in November of 1963 when President Kennedy was shot, and nobody wanted to hear about anything but but the Kennedy assassination and that um, uh, that investigation. So he. he Carl Silverbauer was never uh, uh, brought back to jail. Wow, wow. You know, I had no. about six weeks ago, maybe a month ago, another playwright actor on this program who had written a one-person show and was here performing it, and uh, her source was a um, diary of a young Dutch woman who was literally about a quarter of a mile down from where Anne Frank was hiding, and she had kept a diary. Her name, Eddie Hillisum. Have you ever heard of her? It, it's mind-boggling, no. mind her diary. And in her diary, which she kept all the way to the concentration camp, 
she too, and this is what blew me away about this play, talked about not wanting to be seen as a victim and not wanting to get rid of her love of humanity. And all of her, in her diary, was talking about tolerance of even even yeah. the people who would... And, and you're telling me this is what Wiesenthal was, was tolerance. And I, I'm thinking all of these people are better than I I am. Me too, because I wouldn't, uh, I don't think I, my nature would have. Yeah. yeah. I mean, can you imagine? Yeah. yeah. You know, uh, Wiesenthal said that the only thing that uh, uh, Anne Frank wasn't, wasn't special. No. You know, she was just no. a representative of right. a million and a half other kids. Right. So she was no special, or no, you know, more special than any of the other ones. It's just that that's, you know, it caught the, the public's imagination. Her diary caught the public's imagination, and that's why she's special. Right. It's true because you read Eddie yeah. Hillison's diary and you think, oh my God, she was killed at Auschwitz at in at the age of 28. Um, oh, and, huh. An extraordinary woman and a really good uh, writer. So there's those two that we're aware of, but how? Yeah, right. How many? How many others? But when you get to actually yeah. hear the voices of the dead through these diaries and yeah. see, you know, you can never you know, get your you know, head I'm, around the millions, millions, but just seeing one amazing life brought to yeah. an end so early. There are the poems also now, that these children wrote, you know, that, uh, uh, in fact, in Palm Desert, where we open up on the 9th, uh, we, uh, the, there's the butterfly poem, and we actually, uh, in our stage bill, our playbill, we have an insert with a, a paper cut of the uh, image that the artist did and the poem on the other side of the butterfly poem, so... Uh, this was done by a child yeah, in, I think, Theresienstadt. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 1942, I think. Yeah. Now, before, before we finish up, as I see the clock is ticking, I wanted to uh, uh, just say this uh, quickly, that um, when I first set out to write Wiesenthal, I thought, mm, I don't think I'm going to succeed, because who in the world wants to sit for 90 minutes and listen to one sad story after another? I certainly don't. And uh, so I cracked open uh, my first book about Wiesenthal, and bingo, the answer hit me. Wiesenthal understood that, too. Wiesenthal had uh, uh, experience as an amateur stand-up comedian before the war, and he understood the power of laughter and how uh, when you tell a sad story, you've got to lighten it up, and you've got to keep the audience's attention and keep their spirits up and... And I'm happy to say that apparently I have caught the spirit of Wiesenthal's humor in this play, and people are shocked that they wind up laughing so much more than they wind up crying. And everyone leaves the theater uplifted. It's not a depressing show, and I want the audiences to all know that. It's an uplifting show, and you'll be very surprised at how much you laugh. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that's a great way to... Hence the champagne glass story. Yes, right. indeed. We took one of your laughs away right here. But... Thank you so much. What <laughs> what a great way to to uh, end this uh, this hour, Th Tom. Thank you so much, and I look forward to seeing uh, the play. And Jay, thank you for bringing it to uh, all of uh, all of us and all over the North thank America. You for
And Tom, I will see you in Palm Desert. <laughs> yeah, on, on stage. Okay, um, uh, looking forward to it. Thank you very much again. On my Facebook page and uh, August Wilson Center, the 27th, 28th, 20, no, 26th, 27th, 28th. I'm not good at numbers, but go. And again, benefits, <laughs> benefits tree of life. Thank you both so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. Bye.